You're listening to episode 78 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing. We're a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. It's Thursday the 6th of February here at Dragon Hall as we're recording this intro, which means that Ema McBride will be in the building tonight. Yes, she will. We're very excited to have Ema back in Norwich for the launch of her third novel, Strange Hotel. And the event is in partnership with the Book Hive, which is one of our favourite independents. Yes, and this is the, the grand launch, isn't it? It is the grand launch. It's the first book event for Strange Hotel before Ema goes around the country, giving readings at various other places. And uh, we're also going to be filming a little interview with her this evening, mm-hmm. which will be appearing on the website probably in March, I believe. Okay. So keep an eye out for that. It's going to be a really, really interesting talk. So stay tuned for that. Also tomorrow, we have a really interesting event with Lena Norms, who I will also be talking to on the podcast. So you can expect some words from her in a future episode. Lena has her own YouTube channel mm. where she talks a lot about books. She does. Yes. And she's here to discuss how writers can create an online platform. Yes. Yeah. So I think we've discussed this before, how, uh, you know, a big, a big part of promoting your work nowadays is through social media and sort of digital channels. It's a really important skill to, to have um, if you've got the time. So Lena's going to be offering some tips and techniques for using uh, social media and digital channels like YouTube to uh, build a community of readers for your writing and to get your writing out to new audiences. If you listen to this podcast very rapidly once it goes up, there's, <laughs> there's still a chance you can come along. But if not, we will have Lena on the podcast soon. So today we are talking with Ed Wilson. He is an agent with the Johnson and Alcock agency. And he was here at Dragon Hall talking about agents and how writers should link up with agents and what they do a few months back. And we had a chat with him as a kind of introduction to what an agent is and why you might want one. They're slightly mythic creatures. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's the kind of it's the aspect of, of publishing that I think people don't know exists yeah, until yeah. they suddenly discover they have a need for one. Yeah, and it's slightly it's slightly an intimidating idea as well. You know, how to approach an agent, what kind of agent to try and make contact with, you know, what's right for you. Yeah, it's quite often, I think, the point, the first point when writers have to leave their study yeah. or, you know, that isolated booth mm. where they've been writing for 10 years and actually show their novel to someone else. Yeah, Yeah. and pitch. Yeah, so Ed has all kinds of tips for when you should do that, when you should not do that, uh, what your your pitch letter should be, and generally what the role of an agent is and why they're so critical to the publishing path. So yeah, here's uh, here's me chatting with Ed when he was here at Dragon Hall. Ed, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. So I was trying to figure out a a more elegant way of starting this off, but I, I failed. So Initially, I was wondering if you could succinctly explain what does an agent do? Succinctly explain. I think it, it's, it's quite a hard job to explain. Um, the basics are we represent authors and we sell their books to publishers. And that's the, that's the, the, the bare bones of the job. But in most cases, it's rather more complicated. You are a advisor, a mentor, a talent scout... Um, do quite a lot of hand-holding, quite a lot of dog-walking. Um, you're responsible for the happiness, the pastoral care, the financial stability of your authors. Quite important. Quite important. Well, I, I mean, I think we're quite important, but then I would <laughs> think they're quite important. Yep. Um, it, but in the, the reality is that every author needs their agent to be slightly different. Yes. Some writers are 
extremely secure in the creative side. The writing is not the hard bit for them. Mm-hmm. For them, it's the business bit is is where they they need support. And for for a writer like that, we vet contracts. We I mean, submit the book. We manage the auction process where a book gets sold. Uh, we make sure the contract is the best it can be, and then we manage all of the royalties coming through and check that they're being paid correctly. Um, some writers need a bit more support on the creative side, so we can be a sounding board. Um, we can sit down. Sit down in a pub, thrash through ideas for what the next book is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's uh, it varies from day to day and from from author to author. Yeah, so highly bespoke for Bes- every single person. That is that, that is the succinct way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in terms of that variety, what what's your average day look like? Is there such a thing? Because you presumably have to kind of shift gears repeatedly depending on which author you're dealing with at any given moment. I mean, there isn't there isn't really an average day. The reality, depressing as it is, it, that my job is mainly emails and contracts, just like every job is mainly emails <laughs> and contracts. Yep. Um, things like reading submissions um, and and going out and meeting authors, those are things that we do on our, in our spare time. So I will read my submissions on the way into work and, and on the way home after my children are in bed. Um, meeting authors, I'll go out and do that in sort of lunch breaks. Um, a lot of the time it is emails, uh, meetings with publishers, um, and really looking for looking for, for, for the problems that I can that I can help sort out. Yeah, is it is it quite a kind of all hours type job? Yes. Yeah. Well, the, I think any any creative industry is is, is that 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 I need to be available when my authors need me to. Hopefully, that's not two a.m. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, I have authors all around the world, and sometimes I need to I need to hop online and have a conference call, you know, in the evening if it's someone in America. Sometimes I need to be up earlier for my clients in in you know Singapore or India. Mm-hmm. And. How do you link up with authors in the first place? So is it that you seek them out? Do they come to you? Is it a bit of both? A bit of, a bit of both. So we, I, I am always open to submissions. Some agents like to shut down their submissions from time to time. I'm always open to submissions. Um, and at, at, at any given time, I can receive between 50 and 100 a week. Um, it, it is a huge number, and I have to look at all of those. I get some help from readers, um, from interns, but the majority of those I will look at myself. Um, I also rely quite heavily on my existing authors to bring good clients to my attention. Um, there are a lot of excellent networks of creative writing schools, of writers groups, and if one of my existing authors sees somebody with talent, then they will say, come on, Ed, have a look at this guy. I more proactive on the non-fiction side if there's an area I'd like a book written in then right. I will go out and I'll find a journalist or some an academic who can write it um, but most of the time there's a sort of happy happy chance the mm-hmm. element of luck and the right person crossing my path at the right time just when I'm looking for something along those lines mm-hmm. um, that tends to be the way yeah and from from an author's perspective is there a kind of a right time to be looking for an agent? There is. There, there are, there's mainly wrong times. Um, the most important thing you can do if you're writing fiction is to finish your book. I think too often we, we, we have agents are approached by people who aren't ready. Um, and I think that, that finishing a book is the, is the hardest part of being a writer, particularly not necessarily your first book, but the first book that you're going to submit you have to get to the end of it. I've talked to, 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 I mean, by now, probably hundreds of people who have made a good start on a really good idea and have just never made it to the end. Yeah. So I think you have to, you have to finish, finish your book um, and be in the right 
place sort of mentally and professionally to be able to dedicate yourself to the to the to the next phase because once publishing gets hold of you it, it's sort of like a dog with a with a with a bone won't yes. really let go yeah in terms of the, the notion of finishing a book mm. are you talking about several drafts it's been edited and that's when people should come to you or can it be earlier in the process no i think it needs to be it needs to be uh, at least edited i mean there are the first editor in your in your writing career is yourself and i think it's very important that you have finished it gone round to the beginning and started again and, and made sure that it is it is in the right place then finding beta readers finding interested parties who have no commercial stake in your writing but are willing to go through and give you honest feedback i think that's an important stage um once you've gone through that and if you feel that what you've got fulfills your vision you have no major concerns about it then that's probably the right time mm -hmm. and once you're connected up with an author and they're in your portfolio what does the process look like how frequently are you in contact with an author? Presumably you've got a huge number of people you're dealing with. So how do you go about kind of balancing out all those different loads? Well, a lot of this comes down to the, the, the idea that each author requires a different level of contact. There are some writers who I will share a Christmas card with. They're in a stable relationship with a the publisher. They're delivering books. They're, they're being edited, and they're generally quite happy. Every two years or so, then I will deal with the mm -hmm. deal with a new contract. Um, and for someone like that, there isn't a huge amount of need to be in touch. So it becomes much more of a kind of a friendly say hello. This is what's going on. Some writers, particularly debut writers, need a lot a lot more contact, a lot more support. Mm -hmm. um, and I try to be there as much as possible, not too much. Um, I feel that some, sometimes agents can create a rod for their own back. If they reply to every email within 30 seconds, then the expectation is you're going to continue doing so. <laughs> Whereas the reality is sometimes you can't. Um, yeah. So I think you should expect to have a functioning professional relationship with your agent. And as time goes on, and as you know each other better, then that personal relationship becomes... <laughs> becomes more developed. Yes. There are some writers with whom I am a, a, a friend and a confidant as well as an agent, and I, and I, I enjoy that. It's a good part of it. Writers are fascinating people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we discover that here every week. Um, yeah, and presumably because you know, a lot of writers, the debut writers, would have spent a significant amount of time essentially on their own writing this thing, and the, the sudden notion of having another person who is there to help them yeah. and to, to further their ambitions must be must take a bit of getting used to for some people and it's but it's a very it's a it's a it's a very positive relationship i am i am reliant on my authors so literary agents cannot charge a reading fee so the the the, the um code of conduct of the professional association for literary agents states you cannot charge a reading fee so it's not like an actor's agent where you have a retainer and you right. can have a list of clients and essentially they pay you to be on on call I make money when I make money for my clients. I take commission on the sales that I do. So if I do no work, then I get nothing. <laughs> yes. um, so there is a vested interest for me to to work hard, and particularly with a new writer, to help that writer to get to the place where I can sell their book mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Yeah, it must be quite a, a sort of long-term game. Yes. Because obviously some of this stuff can take years for writers to 
you know, blossom mm. into something really successful. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully not years. Um, I mean, there are some writers I've signed up and have, have, have you know, still not delivered the book that I signed them up for. Doesn't mean I believe in them less. Everyone's process is different. Mm-hmm. And I would love every writer to be able to, to bash out a book a year, regular as clockwork. But the creative process is very strange. Um, and I think that, that that's what's wonderful about it. Different people at different times in their career are, are writing in a different way. Um, and my job is to is to be flexible and to support them in whatever. I mean, as an agency, we've been going since the nineteen fifties, so we are we're not we're not one of the oldest. We're about three agencies that all claim to be the oldest. We're <laughs> not. We're going since the nineteen fifties, but we have clients who were clients of the agency right at the start and who are still in copyright, and that we still look after their estates. Mm. Um, we, my, my, my boss, Andrew Hewson, he managed Beryl Bainbridge for her whole career, uh, Dick Francis for his whole career. Um, William Trevor was with our agency, went away and came back again, because mm. he wanted to come home. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, it, 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 as an agency, we've always prided ourselves on looking after authors and managing their careers for the long term. Yeah. You mentioned you know, someone going away and then coming back, mm. and presumably... As well as the you know the, the contractual and professional benefits, it's also got to be a personality match. Yes, as well. So, um, how do you go about figuring that end out? You've got to try. Uh, you've got to. Tr- you've got to. Tr- it's like any relationship. You have to. You have to try and work very hard at it. Um, initially, now, if there is a writer who's written a good book, there will be more than one agent who wants to sign them up, and I think that writer goes and meets every single person and just tries to work out who's going who's gonna to provide what it is they need. Mm-hmm. Um, most agents, most reputable agents, will do a good job with a good writer who's written a good book. But that doesn't necessarily mean that every single one of them is going to be right for you. Mm. And a lot of it is, a, is about the type of agency. Do you want to be with a large corporate agency where you are a, a commodity that is to be marketed and as much money as possible extracted from it? Or do you want to be with a smaller agency where you'll be nurtured and respected and looked after? Um, and I think a lot of it depends on the kind of writer you are, the type of book you've written, um, and what you're looking for. And in terms of your work, you specialise in genre? Well, no, I don't specialise in anything. I probably should. <laughs> um, um, I, I was very lucky that I inherited a list of, of, of venerable literary writers um, and some interesting sort of non-fiction writers as well, some of whom are still going now. Um, authors like James Hamilton Patterson and Phil Rickman, who have been publishing longer than I've been alive. Um, I, at the same time, have been developing my own list, which is a mixture of literary writers some science fiction and fantasy, crime, um, all sorts, really. Quite a few Norwich-based. Um, uh, it's, I, I do a mentor scheme with UEA every year, which, uh, which is a good way of meeting new writers, and I've signed up quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, I, get, I get bored very easily if I do the same thing over and <laughs> over, so I try not to. Yeah, and in terms of, you know, you're saying you're, you're building a science fiction list and mm. that kind of thing, what... Um, why why that? Is it because that's an interest of yours? Is it because it's a business decision that makes sense? Or a bit of both? Um, a bit of both. I think as a, as a younger agent, which I don't think I am anymore, but I was. Um, as a younger agent, you have to fill a gap that your agency doesn't provide. And I've always been a reader of science fiction and fantasy. Um, and so it was an area that was quite easy for me to start representing. Um, and there are lots of brilliant writers out there. As a community, it's very, very supportive. Um, it's it's, it's, a, it's a diverse community and it's a, 
very creative community and, and one that, that I enjoy enormously. Um, but at the same time, I could never just do that. And often the writers I, I enjoy working with the most. Well, I mean, Nick, Nick Bradley, who was a, a who was teaches at UEA and was on the of the UEA Masters. He's written an extraordinary lit, literary novel that has elements of science fiction and fantasy in mm-hmm. it. Um, those are the books that get me excited because they don't fit easily into a box. Yes, they present a challenge for the editorial process. They present a challenge to sell, but when you find the right editor, um, it's 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 wonderful. Yeah, I think on the agency website, uh, it mentions that you're particularly interested in books that transcend genre. Yes, which is a terrible phrase. And I apologise <laughs> for writing it, but it, it's true. I, I, I don't publishing. Publishing has to has to fit things into a box to a certain extent. When you're in Waterstones, you need to know where to find it. Mm-hmm. But I think that often the most interesting books are the ones that are marketed as one thing, and when you read it, you realise that it's in fact rather more than that. Yes. Someone like a writer like David Mitchell, great example. Not not one of my writers, but um, somebody who is very much marketed in that literary vein. You read the books, and there's so much more. Um, and that is that is that is that is the most satisfying thing when you have not tricked a reader into buying something they wouldn't normally buy, but when you've opened a reader's eyes to aspects of of, of literature that they perhaps didn't realise they liked. You also do nonfiction. I do, yes. And I was just kind of fascinated by uh, how you like mentally shift between all these things, which are so vastly different. Do you tend to sort of compartmentalize and it's like today we're doing nonfiction, or is it? Do you, is it part of the agent's role is to be able to kind of leapfrog across all these different disciplines? Flit like a butterfly, flat, <laughs> flat. No, um, I, I would love it to be quite so organised as compartmentalising. No, um, the reality is, at any given time, I'll, I, the, I can only be working on two or three, maybe four at the most books actively. Mm-hmm. Books that I'm developing, getting ready to send out. And at any given time, it could be that that I have a, a serious non-fiction project, uh, maybe a slightly more frivolous non-fiction pro- project, a literary novel and a genre novel. So between the four of those, as long as I'm not trying to do them simultaneously, then it's quite easy to move between them. You become exhausted from editing. I've just edited a fancy novel, 500 pages, 120,000 words. I mean, by the time you've finished editing that, you know, you're exhausted. And so the idea of of, of reading a sort of a comic memoir is actually quite satisfying. <laughs> like a palette cleanser. Yeah, it is. It is. And it doesn't mean that it's any less valid. Mm. It doesn't mean that it's less important. By the time I finished editing the comic memoir, I'm probably ready to go and dive into something else different as well. Yes. It is. And I think that if you... There are some agents who specialise, particularly in crime, where you find your niche and you stick to it. Um, that would bore me rigid. Mm. Now, I love the variety. And it means that every day I go into the office and there's something new and exciting to look at. And I never know what it's going to be. Yes. And presumably that then opens up the opportunity to find exciting new exactly. trends, authors, directions that mm. the industry as a whole is exploring for the first exactly. time. So if I, if I sign an author today, let's say they've written their book. If I sign an author today, I will spend up to six months editing their book. By that stage, it'll be ready to submit to publishers. It may be take me a month, maybe two months of sending the book out to publishers before I find the right person. You then got another month or so to get the contract sorted. Then the editor will want to do another round of edits with that book. Let's say that takes another three months or so. We're already up to a year. At that point, they will schedule the book for another year in the future. 
So you're already two years plus on mm. from the point of signature. And the book hasn't come out yet. And that's only the hardback. The paperback will come out maybe another six or 12 months after that. So the the we have to see so far down the track that there's actually little point in chasing a trend. Rapid response publishing is that's what the digital domain is for. Mm-hmm. If I if I if I want to get a book out tomorrow, I can do it. I can get do do that on on Kindle. Yeah. If you're going through the conventional channels, you have to be thinking eighteen months minimum down the track, yes. and sometimes longer. For authors who are listening to this and thinking, right, I think I'm at the stage where I want to start looking for an agent. What is the best way for them to start researching that? The, I mean, the, 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 the best resource is the Writers and Artists Yearbook. It's got everything in it. Um, it has some interesting articles as well. Informative, I have a vested interest, because in the 2020 edition, one of the articles is written by me. <laughs> um, it is comprehensive. And I think that if you know nothing about publishing, you can read in the Writers and Artists Yearbook and understand the structure of the industry. And I think it's very important to know that you are going into an industry. It's a business. Um, the idea that because writing is a creative thing that everyone else is sitting under a tree thinking deep thoughts and mm-hmm. sipping cocktails is, I mean, is, is sadly no longer true. <laughs> I'd love it if it was. So <laughs> Writers and Artists Yearbook. And then you have to, you have to go online and, and, and just do some digging. Agency websites. Most agents have have a social media presence. They jabber away on Twitter and Instagram um, and get a good sense of people who could be the right agent for you. Somebody who represents the kind of book you're writing. Um, acknowledgements as well. If you look at a, an author who you admire and you'd like to be alongside, look at the acknowledgements in their book and hopefully they should thank their agent. Mm-hmm. They'll be in trouble if they haven't thanked their agent. <laughs> um, but it's it, it. You should begin to begin to begin to get a, a a list of people who you think could be the right agent, and then you've just got to get yourself ready, get the manuscript ready, get your pitch letter ready, have a look on the website, work out what their submission requirements are, and follow them to the letter. Yeah. And in terms of that pitch letter, mm. do you have any kind of classic do's and don'ts? No, I get in lots of trouble because I don't think there's, I think it's very rare to have an exceptional pitch letter. The thing to remember about any submission, the reason you will be signed up is because you've written a good book. The pitch letter, the synopsis, any of the stuff around it serves one purpose, and that's to get me to read your chapters as quickly as possible. So you're better off having a short, snappy, enticing pitch than two pages of extended explication for why this is the perfect book for me. Mm-hmm. So you need to tell me what the book is called. You'd be amazed how many pitch letters don't have the name <laughs> of it. What the book is called, a little bit of what it's about, a little bit of, of why you've written it, maybe some comparisons so I have a vague sense of the area you're in, and then that's it. Then let the book speak for itself. Let the book speak for itself. Mm-hmm. And if you've intrigued me enough with that, I'll have a look straight away. Most of the time, unfortunately, you will get swiped into my submissions inbox and I'll get to you in you know a few weeks. Uh, regrettably, it's sometimes a few months just because of the volume we get. Mm-hmm. Um, but people spend far too long working on their pitch letter when they should be working on their chapters. The pitch letter should be simple. And if it's not simple, then maybe you need to have a look at the book and work out why it is difficult for you to convey mm-hmm. a clear sense of what it is. Yep. If you can't tell me, you've written it. <laughs> How am I going to get a clear sense? How am I going to be able to convey that sense to a publisher? Yeah. 
imagine some people overthinking it and mm. approaching it like they might a job application and you know trying to get all the points yeah. into that letter. It's not. I don't. I come from a, a, a position of knowing nothing about you and knowing nothing about your book. You need to tell me enough about your book. You can tell me nothing about you. That doesn't really matter who you are. But if you have written a crime novel and you used to work in the police force, that's relevant. Um, if you've written a space opera novel and you're used to, and you're currently a particle physicist, then you know <laughs> that's all. That all feeds in together. Um, focus on the book. The book's the thing. Yeah. No writer's been signed up because of a cracking pitch letter. <laughs> yeah. um, but people, and I think you're right. People do overthink it, and I think the pressure is there. And often it's used as um, it's used as a bit of displacement. If you have anxieties about the book, you focus them on writing a pitch. Mm. People agonise about synopses. I, I, quite often, I don't read a synopsis. I've signed authors where I've never read the synopsis of their book because it's not important. Mm-hmm. The thing is, the book. Yeah. That's what you should be spending 90, 95% of your time on. Yeah. So from the other end, I was curious about how somebody becomes an agent. Mm. Because from what you've been talking about, it's heavily reliant on networks and contacts and understanding yes. the industry. So when you start off, like if someone is thinking, oh, I'd love to be an agent. Yes. But obviously you start off from a position of nothing. Yes. What is the routine? Um, well, nobody knows agents exist. I didn't. <laughs> so I did I did English at university, which made me moderately unemployable. Then I did a master's in English as well, which made me really unemployable. Um, and then teaching or publishing were the two obvious paths. Um, I interned around, worked for a publisher for a bit. I worked for HarperCollins for a bit. Um, and... And I got lucky. One of the people I'd worked with before had seen my skill set and thought that agenting was a good thing. At the um, at the time, I thought this was a compliment. I've since worked out that it probably wasn't. <laughs> he was just trying to get rid of me. But um, I was very lucky to to, to come across a, a, a extremely nice man, Andrew Houston, who was the chairman of Johnson and Norcock, um, who got me in and taught me how to do the job. Uh, so no I mean it, publishing has a bad reputation for nepotism and you know there are still Hodders in Hodder uh, the Faber family still <laughs> work in Faber there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of of CEOs and managing directors of publishers who have progeny working in different parts of the industry but I have none of that no nepotism for me mm-hmm. my family are provincial solicitors <laughs> <laughs> so they still find the idea of me working in publishing completely baffling um, <laughs> but you have to you have to you have to love books, and that's such a trite thing to say. Mm. But there are times when the sheer volume of reading makes you hate books and hate reading, and you just never want to look at it again. Another word, <laughs> um, but you have to have a deep uh, underlying love of 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 the craft of the skill involved in creating a story, if you're going to be able to do it all day every day. Yeah. Um, and then the ability to knuckle down. A lot of hard work. Early on, a lot of hard work, a lot of admin, a lot of very, very tedious stuff. Selling rights, reverting rights, updating databases, all of that stuff, Every like every other job. And then further down the track, you get to the launch parties and the lunches <laughs> and all the fun. It gets slightly more glamorous. It's slightly more glamorous. And we all like to play up the gl- I think literary agents spend their... A decent portion of their of their time, and certainly their time on social media, conveying a sense that that all it is is swanning around and drinking cocktails. 
Yeah. Maybe literary agents were the, the first Instagrammers. I think so. Presenting this amazing life. Influ- <laughs> we're influencers. We're literary influencers. <laughs> but it, it, it and, and I think I think nowadays the role of the agent has expanded. So in a in a in a publisher's office, the slush pile. So with the unsolicited manuscripts used to live in the publisher's office. And there would be lots of people in the junior levels of the editorial department who would read through that and try and find the good stuff. Now it's in my it's in my inbox. Publishers are too busy trying to sell the books that they have to find new ones. They rely on agents to find the new authors and to sell them to them. I don't think any large publisher accepts unsolicited submissions as a matter of course. That's what we do. That's the talent. That's the talent scouting bit, and that's you know that's the we have to wade through all of those submissions to find the one or two a year that are actually going to make it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ed. <laughs> no, well, thank you for having me. Um, I hope I've answered some of the questions. I think so. Yeah, probably opened a whole new load of them. Yes. <laughs> well, that's exactly. And I, I, I mean, I. The other thing to remember about agents is we are always around, and we tend to be fairly, uh, fairly active, giving talks and. The best way to make an impression with an agent is to is to come and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Tell them about your book. I do talks. I'm doing a talk here today. I do talks with the Guardian, and it's all it's all about demystifying a profession that I think people feel is a closed shop, I and mean, it's not. We're all looking for talent, and if you've got it, then find a way to get your book to me. Yeah, and the more authors understand the process, yeah. the easier it is for you. It's, end as well. it's, it, is, it, is, it is depressingly simple sometimes. <laughs> Write a good book and get it in front of somebody who understands it and then the next thing you know, you're, you're on the bestseller chart. Yes. Uh, if people want to follow your glamorous life, where can they find you? Ah, my glamorous life. Um, so Johnson & Alcock is the name of our agency. You can have a look on our website. You'll see my profile. You'll see our submission guidelines. Um, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Literary Hall. Um, yes, you did hear that correctly. <laughs> is there a story behind that? <laughs> no, there's not. It, it was the early days of Twitter before, before anyone really thought too hard about it. And it made me chuckle. Um, it's it's probably it's probably not very PC, but I feel it represents me. If you don't like, if you don't find that funny, then you're probably not going to like me. Yeah, it's like an initial filter. Yeah, that's exactly on the, on the authors. That that's exactly it. slightly confusing for some of my children's authors. They're like they're like Ed. I can't retweet you. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Ed for coming on the podcast. If you have questions or you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Center. Find us on Facebook by searching for National Centre for Writing. Or you can email us, info at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. Plus, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. Uh, We send monthly updates on the latest events, workshops and opportunities. You can sign up for that online by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. So many options, Steph. So many options to get in touch with us. We're everywhere. Yeah, we're very needy. We We are. We just want people to write to us. Speak to us. Yes. And uh, something else people should definitely do mm-hmm. is rate and review and subscribe to us. It is. Please do that. Yes. Uh, every time you rate the podcast or review it, it helps bump it up the charts a little bit, which helps other writers to discover it and hopefully listen to all the lovely tips we have in the episode. We've been in the charts in some random countries, haven't we? We have. We have. We pop up in Indonesia Yeah, quite a bit, India. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Not not so much in the UK. No, we're trying to... So any UK listeners, if you could review, that would be uh, greatly appreciated. Yes, but no, we have been getting a lot more listeners over the last year. So since we relaunched the podcast, it's it's been going up and up. So thank you very much to everyone who does listen. Thanks again. Keep writing and we will catch you on the next episode.
with this bit, do you think we should go keep writing? Keep writing!